Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, and I'm the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. And for those of you that are new to our show, because we always are getting new listeners around the world, um, I just want to tell you a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks. Basically, we're an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort worldwide. And we believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having everyday conversations about life with dementia, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas and the isolation that occurs when this disease knocks on somebody's door. We truly believe that together we're going to be able to to change, um, change our culture worldwide. And so um, I want to thank each and every listener um, who has shared not only Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, but our website, our Facebook pages, our YouTube channel, our Dementia Chats webinars. Um, because of you, we were named the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. And needless to say, we couldn't do that on our own. And so we just feel so blessed and grateful to have such great listeners who understand the importance of getting information out into the world. So many of us have um, people in our spheres of influence that we don't know that well. Um, but we, you know, we take their friendship on Facebook or on Twitter. And a lot of these people are dealing with this disease, but they really haven't come out of the closet yet. They're not, they're not quite ready to talk about it. So the more information that we can push out as a group, um, the safer it's going to make people feel um, to address this and reach out and grab it um, when they're ready and uh, on their terms. I also want to let you know that, you know, we talk to everybody on this show. All opinions are listened to. This is a respectful conversation. And so if you are diagnosed with dementia, maybe you're somebody thinking, you know, maybe you have it, but you haven't gotten diagnosed. Maybe you're a care partner for a loved one. Uh, maybe you're a business professional um, who's devised a different type of service or you've increased your standards um, for delivery for dementia or for caregiving. Uh, maybe you're in research. Um, maybe you're an author like we have today. Maybe you're a screenwriter um, or an advocate who's, you know, just biked across the country. Um, or, I mean, there's just been so many cool things that people have done to, to raise funds and raise awareness. Maybe you're involved with one of the many dementia-friendly communities or businesses. We'd love to talk with you. Um, again, we just feel it's so important to raise everyone's voice. So you can reach out to me on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio and shoot me an email from there, or you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and just click on the big contact button. And, um, you know, you can tweet me, email me, call me, whatever works for you. If, if you call and I don't answer, please leave a message because I, I get lots of calls, but I, you know, I need that contact information to reach back out to you. Um, before I introduce our wonderful guest today, I do want to give a shout out uh, to a couple of um, other programs here on Alive and Social. Um, one is Apples to Apples, a father and son group that kind of banter back and forth about sports. Um, kind of fun to listen to, so check them out here on Alive and Social. And the other is Joan of Art. And um, that's kind of a cool little show because they just talk about a lot of different art projects um, that people are working on um, around the country. And um, as we know, art has a big impact with dementia as well. Now, they're not dementia-related, but it might give you some ideas there. i also like to shout out to our friends at Caregiver Alert Center. It's a great way if you are a little bit nervous about maybe someone you love and are caring for with dementia uh, that they might wander. Being prepared is really important, and so you can get all their 
data in photos um, submitted to the Caregiver Alert Center uh, for only $15 a year. And if you would have to tap into it, they will have a poster built for you within 10 minutes of notification working with the police and um, and others to be able to get that information out so that it can help them be found. Um, last, I just want to mention that there we've got a couple of um, free trials for you. One is with audible.com where you can get a free Audible book um, downloaded for 30 days. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash social. That's audibletrial.com forward slash social, and they have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Um, The second um, uh, giveaway is with FreshBooks. You can get a 30-day trial by going to gofreshbooks.com forward slash alive. That's gofreshbooks.com forward slash alive. And you probably are still doing your taxes like me, or you just got done doing them. And uh, something like this can really make it a lot easier for you next year. So check, go ahead and check them out. Uh, last, I'm just going to give a shout out to Autumn Leaves. Um, I just um, cannot believe how gracious they were. They had me down in, last week. Um, we did five different screenings of the film, um, His Neighbor Phil. And it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful um, opportunity to help raise awareness with people. And we just, we just had a blast, um, and it was received real well. We were down in Maryland, uh, Riverstone, Pearland, Cinco Ranch, and, um, which is also Memorial City, and Sci-Fi. And again, the response to the film was great. If you are a company that would like to host one of these, please reach out to me at Lori at LoriLebay.com um, or at uh, Lori at Alzheimer's Speaks. Um, and I'd be glad to talk to you. I will be going out to Wilmer, Minnesota on the 19th for a conference there and also back to Tyler, Texas uh, with the Alzheimer's Alliance of Smith County on April 28th. Both of those, you can find information on our homepage there. So go ahead and and check those out. Um, We'd love to, I'd love to meet you and and help you with this process, which I've lived personally 30 years of my life with. So let me go ahead and introduce our guest today. I love this woman to death. She is just, um, just a sweetheart and a half. Her name is Kathy Borey. And she trained as a nurse in Vancouver, and she holds her master's in public health from Johns Hopkins University. Um, She also graduated from the University of Saskatchewan with a degree in law, and she has studied creative writing at Simon Fraser University. The woman likes school, apparently. (laughs) She's just, um, just a marvel. She's also studied ballroom and Latin dance for 10 years, and she taught her, um, which she taught uh, her to follow her mother's lead as she lived with dementia. She lives in Vancouver, in BC, Canada, and we're just thrilled to have you with us, Kathy. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Lori. What a lovely introduction. I just love you to death as well. Well, you know, you are just doing such cool work out there, and your sincerity just kind of sings through. Um, anytime somebody talks to you, you know, they're going to see it and feel it. And, and now with your, your book, I'm so excited to, to talk about the book you've written, The Long um, Hello. And why don't you tell people, you know, how did you come to even write this book? Well, it's a funny little story. You know, I've had lots of different careers, and you're quite right. I do love to go to school. I'm just thinking, have I got time to do anything else? <laughs> but uh, uh, before that, my days are over. But I, I, what happened was I always had wanted to write. There were different writers in my family background, uh, like journalists and things like that. But I was pretty taken up with the careers I'd chosen. And then, Lori, one day when my, my mom had gotten sick with a, a couple of things and then she was diagnosed with um, uh, Alzheimer's and with uh, Parkinson's and everything in my world and hers, of course, stopped and changed directions. So all of a sudden, um, I, was, I was her principal care partner and I don't have any brothers and sisters left, so I was put into a place of, 
uh, a lot of quiet time, a lot of sitting, talking, um, less activity, all the things I'd known and loved, like committees or dancing and boards, all those things sort of were secondary uh, or non-existent. So I had this time, and I think what happened, Laurie, was I started to listen to my mom more deeply, thank heavens, and I couldn't believe the things she was saying. Talk about stigma busting. My mother was a stigma buster. And I started <laughs> I started to write down the things she said. I even have a serviette from a coffee shop where I was frantically trying to get the words down. And, of course, you can't write them down fast enough. So somebody uh, had suggested taping, so I taped our conversations. And listening to her, because when you tape somebody, you listen deeply. And they speak because they're so flattered. Somebody's listening to them. Who wouldn't be? And I found, I think, that her voice, which was very insightful and astonishingly poetic, acted, I, I say this retrospectively, acted as a muse for me, and it released time, space, and uh, inclination to start doing my own writing. So I would write down these little vignettes, which I like to think of as scenes, and then I would, and then I would integrate her her words verbatim and go back over family history because I truly believe that anybody who's a care partner in any situation of long uh, long term caring comes to that relationship with a history, a family history, and you must sort of see that in context. Context, otherwise, it really sits in isolation. So I went way back to the memories I had of my mom that she told me about, and my grandmother, and uh, stories about fishing and all sorts of things. And then I would tell my own story as well. So that's how I came to write. And then when I went to the writer's studio, honed honed that writing enormously. I mean, it's a five-year project. It's like doing a PhD with a post postdoc. <laughs> That's the story. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a process. I think I don't think most people know how much it takes to write a book and the commitment um, to to really get it from start to finish. I know I've got several books in me, and I've got one that's close, but it's been close for quite a while, and I just I haven't carved out the time um, to get it done, and I I just I need to do that, and it's a is a simple book, and. Um, but it, none of it's simple, you know, and you, you look at it and you you read it and you read it and you read it and you read it. And there's so much stuff you don't catch um, or that all of a sudden you go, how did I miss that piece? You know, <laughs> you have to go back. Yeah, and- it's very challenging. But I encourage you, as I would uh, our listeners, that if anybody's inclined to sort of jot things down and work on it, and if, if it becomes a book, great. If it's just something that uh, assists you to keep track of what's going on, that's a great idea. And it, But it does. It takes a lot of work. And if one's more serious, then I think uh, writing classes and writing groups move one forward enormously. Yeah. Well, and it's just a healing process, too, if you share it with anyone else or if you just write for yourself. I, I think... I'm a firm believer in um, the the power of healing and just recognizing and acknowledging and accepting what's happened. That's true. And I think, you know, given that and also at at other levels, if if nothing else, you become more introspective. You examine things from a different way. When when, When you write, you say, oh, that's interesting. Maybe that reminds me of something else. So it kind of puts you into an interesting almost intellectual uh, pursuit of understanding and, you know, self-actualization in many ways. Yep, yep, I I definitely agree with that. Now, um, because you tape so many conversations with your mom, you know, um, her voice just uh, uh, kind of pops out of the pages of the book. I mean, she just, you, you've really captured, I think, her, her character and her essence in there. Um, how how did the taping start and how important was it to you to, to have her voice kind of jump out on the pages like that? Well, that's an excellent question. You know, when you start to write, you have no idea what you're writing. You, you don't think about where it's going or anything. You really can't. But what, what happened was, um, as I gave a little bit of background, that I started to tape her because I didn't want to lose her, her beautiful words. And also, um, it gave us something to do together. 
she she liked it. She perked up as anybody would if they'd been given you know that amount of attention. And oh, my goodness, somebody wants to take me. That's pretty neat. And we had stuff to do. And and I think that um, I just I don't even remember the process of how I how I decided to integrate that. But it was such a logical thing to do in a memoir. It worked with the, my writings very uh, lyrical and spare and so were her words so it just worked beautifully and you know in many ways this book is a general family memoir it appeals to people who are not having anything to do with uh dementia or care partnering care partnering because it deals with things like divorce and loss of a sibling but you know the center of it is my mother's time and living with it with uh dementia and having her words on almost every page really makes it an unusual work. It's not me talking about my mother and what we went through. It's she's talking too. So here you have this woman uh, who was living with uh, dementia who has front center voice on many, many pages of that book. And uh, she would, she'd be pretty interested to know this is how things have turned out. But So it's not, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a quirky book in that sense. Now, do you ever go back and and listen to the tapes that you made? I don't. I you know I had to listen to them many, 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 many times, um, and that wasn't actually very long after. Which I think, she, trying to think, I, oh, it was probably after she died that I got right into using the tapes. I've forgotten the sequence there, um, but after she died. Um, I had to do this, and some of it was quite painful, to be honest with you, but I just believed it was the right route to go because, of course, I had to have it transcribed and then pick, pick and choose things that I thought were mo- most relevant and most, most interesting. And what I don't find hard to do is listen to her singing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I taped a lot of her singing, and she had perfect pitch, which I'm afraid somehow did not come down to me. But uh, she, we'd, she would sing all the old songs, like You Are My Sunshine and Moon River and The Sunny Side of the Street. <laughs> and, you know, that is nothing but joyful to hear her beautiful voice singing it. If, if I ever get the chance, I'd love to do an installation art project at a at a museum or gallery where I have, you know, recordings of her voice that people could go around and listen to. But I don't listen to the words. Uh, no, I don't. I don't anymore. Okay. Um, can you just give us a little background too? I I probably should have asked you for this up front. But um, when did your mom's journey with dementia start? And and just so people kind of have a little more reference there. Yes. She passed away when she was 87. Uh, and as I said, she had Parkinson's and, and uh, uh, well, what the doctor felt was Alzheimer's. And she had probably had that in terms of my recollection about eight years, seven or eight years. Okay. And then, of course, things probably trickled in before that uh, in terms of red flags. But I, I just don't remember that era, that time. So she passed away in 2006 in January. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting the length of time everybody goes through this is a little bit different and um from formal diagnosis to symptoms showing up and and things. I love that uh your idea about being able to do something in a museum regarding the music. I I know with my mom we recorded her and have just short little videos on YouTube and they're just so dang powerful. <laughs> to, to really show the moments of joy. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it amazes me every time I still watch one. If I'm having kind of a down day, I just go watch one of the little videos of my mom singing, and it just it just soothes my heart. And well, that's, that's so wonderful. And, you know, you bring up a good word when you say joy, because, and, and this is, inter- it's not something that just becomes clear in those who are part of the sort of global culture change of, stigma busting and changing the words for dementia, etc. But, you know, in any long-term illness or long chronic uh, trials and tribulations, we have always known as humans that there are moments of meaning and joy available to us. And, you know, Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning about the Holocaust, he still was able to find meaning in that experience. And so it's just something that I know that you and I and a whole mess of people around the globe, uh, people living with dementia and their loved ones, care partners, are really pushing to say, look, at this is a tricky story, but there's just keep an eye out for all the, the wonder. 
Yeah, it really does pull us back to a simpler time in terms of um, what brings us joy and how that affects us is just so so important because it's always there. It just is a matter really of what are we looking for because we're only going to find what we're looking for. And um, you hear people, like you said, with the Holocaust and so many horrific things that have happened, um, yet so many have found an inner peace at, uh, I think, a much deeper level um, mm-hmm. to find joy. Um, it, it's it's pretty incredible. And I, I think, to me, that's one of the gifts my mom left me, was to be able to um, look and find joy in really distressing um, situations um, it's still there, you know, and um, and to really be able to appreciate it on a level I didn't even know existed, and um, so I, I just I I personally just believe the dementia as a whole is here to teach us to live a better life. Um, it's very Buddhist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really it really is. Yeah. Now you know your writing isn't um, the typical nonfiction book about dementia because. You know, you allow your your mom's voice to come through. What kind of effect do you think that has on on your readers as a whole? Well, well I, I think the best way for me to describe it is the feedback I've been getting. Because, you see, I, I originally self-published in 2010 because I was invited to speak at MoMA. And I didn't have a book. The economy was terrible. It was very hard to be published. Then I got picked up by Simon & Schuster Canada last year in an arcade publishing in New York this year. So I've had quite a bit of, I mentioned that because I've had quite a bit of time to hear what people think. And when they first opened the book, the first chapter, which is, you know, 10 lines, I have a lot of very short chapters, Uh, it has nothing to do with dementia. So people are going, oh, what's this? And then the next chapter does, and then the next chapter will go back to childhood. So the form is quite lyrical and weaves in and out of time. And of course, incorporates my mom's voice. So at first, people go, "Oh, this wasn't what I was expecting." But I think at the end of the day, most of the comments I get, if not all the comments, say that it's highly accessible. It's very readable. Uh, it's very honest and raw. Uh, it doesn't doesn't uh, pretend things aren't tricky uh, at any point in the book. But it also highlights all the beauty. And and a lot of people say that. Uh, that has helped show them, not told them, but shown them how they might rethink, say, taping people or how they would communicate with people. Uh, so I get a lot of feedback like that. It's a quick read. It's about five-hour read. It's short. And uh, I've been really, you know, encouraged by that feedback. Yeah. Well, and I, I you know, I love that, that you take readers by surprise. I you know, I, I, to me, that's one of the things I I try to do is do things differently than how everyone else does them, um, because I, I think everybody learns differently, and I think they're surprised when they learn. Going, oh, I didn't think I'd get anything out of this, you know. And that's, <laughs> I mean, to me, that's always a cool feeling when I was surprised by something right. something new. Um, it it opens my my mind and my heart a little wider. To think, um, you know, you don't know everything you think you know before you walk in the door, Laura. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> and to kind of have that broader um, perspective um, in terms of life in general and what it has to offer, and um, you know what I think what you can contribute to as an as an individual might be out of the box, but that might be just what somebody needs. It might be just what you need. And and to me, that's that's a pretty cool thing to be able to to offer people. I agree. And, you know, when you think about it, Lori, the experience of dementia is somewhat unpredictable and out of the box. So those of us that are uh, involved in that field, those living with dementia and care partners or authors or educators, presenters, why not? Why not encompass that out of the box? Uh, framework mm-hmm. so that it's, it's not that predictable either. So I kind of think it makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, you know, with dementia as a whole, I mean, if if it taught me nothing else, it, it taught me to let go of standards and really live um, in almost that trial and error period. You know, it's it's all about experimentation and what can you learn? You know, how do we live differently? And... Um, and, and that's okay, and that, you know, failure isn't something we should be afraid of. 
we should really embrace it to getting us one step closer to something that's going to work. Um, but I think it's a sin that, you know, we are brought up um, to be afraid of failure um, because this disease really demands us to test a lot of different ways out, as you well know, that every person with dementia, everyone comes to the, the conclusion now and the acceptance that every person with dementia is different, um, but yet so is every care partner, so is every environment. And so it's a very complicated process. And things, just because they worked once, doesn't mean they're going to work again. Um, so we have to look at the the little gifts as they present themselves and know that maybe it won't work for us anymore. But that doesn't mean it might not work for somebody else in terms of having the conversation and sharing the knowledge and and being conversational about it instead of fearful about what's what's the next guy going to think, you know, <laughs> in terms of what we're doing. Um, now, with, with your book, um, you have written um, about many other aspects of your family and in personal life. Um, and I just want to know uh, and, and have our audience know, why did you do that and, and why did you think that that was important in terms of your work as a whole? Well, yes, that's, a, that's really an interesting thing to ask me. I think that when I was doing my writing, I didn't consciously think, oh, I should put this in too because of this, that, and the other. I think what happened, as I recall, that when my mom was walking down memory lane when we were recording her, then I started to kind of walk down memory lane too, and she'd bring something up, and then I'd think, oh, my goodness, I was just thinking about sports day when I was 10 and <laughs> and uh, she was at, there and I thought, oh, that's a lovely scene. And so I would integrate that, that scene and then I would think, oh, when I lived with my grandparents and I'd think, oh, that's kind of neat. And then when I was older, see, uh, showing what mom was like because she loved to fish for salmon and so I wanted to put that in. Uh, because it kept expanding the depth of field uh, from really, really close up when she was living with dementia and then opening it up to the past and uh, the huge past. And it just kind of made sense in terms of describing her character, my character, and our family to put it, put, to put it in. Of course, I took lots out and edited things that might have been rep, rep, repetitious, but I think that if you're going to read about a small part of somebody's life, like eight years, it's really important and vital that you see that relationship in context of what that relationship has been about all all the time, like all in the past for their lifetimes together. And it puts it into context, makes things, uh, gives things more sense. And I just think that uh, there was just no other way to do it. I didn't want to talk just about the dementia years. I wanted to talk about everything that we were. And, and uh, I think that was the right way to go. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's, we're talking about the whole person, not just a, a disease. And, um, and you can't know their point of reference if you haven't invited them in to the story of this person's life. Um, how did, how did the rest of the family feel about that? Cause I know, in some families, there can be some real big pushback of that's private, that's about us and our family, and you don't have any right to do that. And um, there can be a real discomfort, and others are like, share, share, share. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad you're the writer in the house because I can't do that. But um, what? Oh, how, I got away with that. I, I just virtually had no family left. I mean, uh, there was nobody left where that would have been relevant. My, um, I mean, I'm not going to give it all away. People mm -hmm. have to read the memoir. But basically, I was on my own with my mother. And um, sometimes I would, though, which does address your question uh, laterally, is that if there's somebody like a friend or actually maybe even a relative had come into the into the memoir in in a light that wasn't very complimentary, I I. I just changed the gender and nobody ever recognizes themselves. Uh -huh. the, the other thing is there's no names in my book. So mm -hmm. I don't name anybody or any place. It just got into, into the, it got in the way of um, the fair language that I wanted to use. And so it, the book is never set anywhere and, and, Neither are any names mentioned uh, for that, not for confidentiality, but I just, it felt heavy and clunky in the book. So 
So I didn't have that problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you have to be an orphan in order to qualify for that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an interesting process. Well, and you know, it's it's kind of interesting too because when you think of no names and no places, I mean, so many times that's one of the major struggles that people with dementia have as the disease progresses. They can't pull a name out or they can't place a scene. And so, you know, the book just kind of goes with the flow of it really doesn't matter, you know, mm-hmm. if it's about the moment right now that you're you're presented with. And so that's kind of a, a, a neat little piece, actually, in terms of uh, relating to the disease, you know, that sometimes we worry about all these um, big fat things that, that you know, really don't matter. The story yeah. can still be told. The the engagements can still be had without all the detail that we're used to. I absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, people sometimes say to me, well, where did that take place? I said, it took place wherever you want it to take place. And it, 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 those those details are so irrelevant that it's, it's not funny. I mean, sometimes even in conversation with somebody now, they'll say they're trying to remember what year something happened or or the time frame within the last week or two, and they're, they're struggling to find that date or that day of the week. And I, I just think, well, why, how can that be important? Get on with the story. Mm-hmm. And so that, it's kind of true about what you say. Those those are trivialities. Yeah. And and maybe I like it because I just have one of those minds that don't hold all those details, you know. So, I mean, I, I'm the kind of gal, I'll go on vacation, people go, where did you go? And I can't even tell you all the places I go because it's about the moment. It's about the feeling I had in those places. It really isn't about the destination um, at all. And I've always been like that. I, I can't remember songs. I can't remember bands. I can tell you what music I like when I hear it. I can tell you if it's going to be a hit because those things matter more to me than all the all the other details. And um, and so it's it's kind of interesting. And then there's other people that just have to fill in the blanks. But as you were talking about, you know, the people asking, when did that happen? Where did that happen? I just see the heads churning and the sleep being lost and the added stress we put on ourselves by trying to plug in those blanks sometimes. And then, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's just with the average bear. And then you take it with someone with someone with dementia and um, how much more difficult that is, how much more frustration, how much more stressful it is when we try to pressure them to fill in those blanks. Yes, the needless details. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, but see if you remember this song, you say goodbye and I say hello, hello, oh, yeah. hello. That's I don't a Beatles know song. Why you say goodbye, <laughs> I say hello. <laughs> yep, that one I do remember. That one I, I do thought remember. you might. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's my little theme song for yep. my book. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a perfect that's a perfect perfect uh, tit- or, uh, theme song for your Thank book. Thank you, um, for sure. Um, when you go out and kind of um, speak on your book and stuff, are there any common questions that you usually get from your audience? Uh, well, sometimes when we do have the Q and A's, because the performances I do are very artistic, so I usually work with either an actor or a musician, mm-hmm. uh, and we do a theatrical reading based on the text of the book, uh, which is separate from the stage play, which we've just finished too. But they're quite artistic, so sometimes we we don't go to the Q and A's because it's it doesn't doesn't fit with an artistic performance. But on those occasions when we do. I think I get a lot of the same kinds of questions that you've just asked me. You know, uh, how did you start to tape? You know, the form of your form of your writing is quite unusual. Talk to us about that. I would say mostly the similar kinds of similar questions you're asking me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's well, that's nice to know. I'm not the only one out there then. Oh, that's good. Can you ta- talk to us a little bit about your experience about learning to ballroom dance and, and Latin dance and, and how that helped you care for your mom? Are you there, Kathy? I think we just might have lost her, which is unusual. So, can Hello? We... Oh, you're back. We... Oh, what happened? 
Not a clue. Not a okay, clue. Okay, sorry, but I don't know either. Um, so you were just saying, can I tell you a little bit about my experience? And then, I, and then it went dead. Yeah, and I thought, oh, she must have fallen off her chair and not wanted to talk about this question. So. I don't know what happened. Sorry about that if it was my end. No, that's not no problem. I was just asking if you could share with us kind of your when you learned to ballroom dance and, and Latin dance, um, how did that help you in terms of caring for your mom and playing that care partner role? Yeah, I just I just love that piece of things. I think it took me quite a while to kind of figure out how helpful it really was. But in in ballroom dancing and Latin dancing, uh, couple dancing that is, you both parties at some level, but especially the women, but both parties have to learn to listen to the other person, to wait, to to follow. There's a lot of room for uh, following in ballroom dancing for both sides. And it's an exercise, and it's very meditative. It's very Buddhist. You just you, you wait. You listen with your whole body, uh, not with your ears, and uh, you're not talking. And I think that slowly but surely, this is a wonderful thing to learn. It's very hard to learn. Because uh, you're always afraid of doing something wrong, and so you try to anticipate and fill in, and very similar to the experience I was having with my mother. So I think that the benefit that that gave me was was to teach me to to slow down, to wait, to listen, not to interrupt, not to correct, not to reorient, but just be very still, like on the dance floor, and just... Uh, waiting and following and I think I just love that metaphor and even today I I think about it and I think boy I'm not sure there's much a much better uh, analogy to be made from the lead follow and dance and the lead follow and partnering up with somebody that you're caring uh, for and about It, it it's very instructive well, you know, and one of the things that I like is it it really emphasizes the the nonverbal communication, which I think so many people struggle with, even though it's, you know, over 75% of our communication, people still want someone to speak to them and give them instructions. And with dementia, it really is about looking at the eyes and the smile and, you know, their hands and, you know, their positioning, their voice tone. I mean, all of those things um, that just, you know, tell us we're going to be okay, or I'm scared, um, or I need help. Um, there's there's so much we can read um, if we just slow down and pay attention to one another. Yeah. Oh, I love what you said, Lori. It's so true. And I mean, even even in everyday relationships, I think it's it's, we're always tempted to interject our stories oh yes that happened to me too and or you know just keep getting back to things we want to say instead of just listening so i think that there's much to be said for that as a a paradigm or a framework for communication in, in all our relationships it just gets hit home a lot harder if you get it wrong when you're uh communicating with somebody who's living with dementia you've got you can go you can go wrong and very quickly and make everything much worse for the other person but in fact i think we should we should be uh, certainly i should be trying to do that all the time mm-hmm. yeah i think it's i mean it would it it dip 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 um i think um it's just such a wonderful lesson for life um, to teach us how to engage different because pretty much anything that you learn that helps somebody with dementia or helps yourself deal with dementia is going to help you in other aspects of your life. And I, I think so many people think, well, it's just for that situation. And it's so, the lessons are so powerful and so life enhancing. Um, if we if we look at them at that you know in that light um, that this isn't just for this relationship or just for this kind of time zone we're in um, we can apply we can apply this to all of life and I think live a much better life by doing so. I agree with that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your, your book launch um, and, and how that occurred in Canada and then the one coming up here in the U.S.? I, I definitely want to make sure that we get into both of those. 
Oh, thank you. I'm so I'm so happy and grateful how things have worked out. Uh, Simon and Schuster Canada picked my book up and we had uh, acquired my book through uh, my wonderful literary agent, uh, Marilyn Biederman, and we had a huge book launch in Vancouver uh, in January of 2015. We had 200 people. We had a flash mob. We had singing. Oh, fun. <laughs> it was, of course, easy to do in my hometown. I'm not easy, but I could do it. So New York is going to be April 20th. It's going to be in Manhattan at a place called the Emily Harvey Foundation. If people go on Facebook or my website, kathybory.com, they can find out about that. The book's available now, um, you know, really for the first time in the United States, because for people who don't know how this works, I sure didn't a few years back, you, you have to be picked up by a publisher in each country. So my agent found us a wonderful publisher in New York called Arcade, which is an imprint of Skyhorse, and uh, they've just released the book this month. And so it's now, for the first time, available through any independent bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, throughout the United States. And we're going to do a book launch on April 20th, and I'm so excited because for those of you, uh, and there'll be many who remember L.A. Law, the TV series, Yep. Jill, Jill Likenberry, who was one of the lawyers in that show, is going to read with me, and I, I'm just over the moon about that. So we're going to have a big party and hopefully lots of book sales, because that's uh, that's uh, one of the highlights of having a book launch. And uh, so, no, I'm I'm ecstatic about it. I'm absolutely ecstatic. Oh, very cool. Now, has has Jill been touched by dementia in her family? Yes. I thought I remembered yes. reading that. Her mom had dementia. She's passed, and and Jill was um, MC at one of the big uh, gala events, fundraising galas for what was then called the New York City Alzheimer's, which was a chapter, and now is called Caring Kind. So they, uh, she was an MC there. That's how I met her. I just got into touch with her, or or a speaker. I'm sorry, speaker. And we've been in touch for the last two years, and she's very interested in the stage play and would like to play the mother role. So we're going to pitch that uh, stage play uh, now that we're in the States. Cool. Yeah. Well, how fun. She, and she just always just seemed like such a um, a dynamic yet compassionate individual. I never met her, but... Um, just, I, I loved her in LA law and I just, you know, saw her on just different interviews and she just seems like just such a sincere person. Oh, she is. And, and talk about kind and she and her husband had recently done a, a play together out in New Jersey repertory. And, um, so she's got a, both of them have huge theatrical backgrounds, TV and, and film, so I'm pretty. I'm a lucky dog. I can tell you that. I'm sure looking forward to, to to speaking with her. Oh, very fun. Well, please extend an invitation if she ever wants to tell her story on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. We'd love we'd love to hear from her. And oh, de- definitely do that, Lori. Yeah, yeah. I would love to love to have her on. Um, well, I now um, can anybody go to your book launch then in New York, or is it invitation only? No, I mean, I've invited a lot of people, and of course, you have no idea who's going to turn up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would love to have any New Yorkers that are there. Um, I'm just trying to think of if everybody's on Facebook. I have a page on Facebook and a personal page. I think my website is the best place. I'll just make sure it's all up to date, but it's Kathy, is C-A-T-H-I-E, B as in Bob, B-O-R-R-I-E, KathyBory.com. Okay. If you look at news and events, is um, but I think you have it on your web on your um, information too. Yep, yep, I have it on the on our homepage of alzheimerspeaks.com. Yeah. dot com, and um, yeah, make sure you reach out to Lisa Hirsch if you haven't. She's in New York, and I bet she would love to love to come. Yeah, um, I have, and I can't remember what she said, but I'll, thank you for that reminder. I'll follow up. Yeah, because uh, yeah, she, I'm sure she'd be interested, and I know she's. Um, She's very active in the association and stuff out there. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, we're very excited for you and all that's, <laughs> all that's come your way. Well-deserved, lots of hard work, and um, can't wait to hear more about, you know, as things progress with the stage play and stuff. Now, you had mentioned that you do some theatrical things. Can you explain to people a little bit more about that in case they would want to hire you to come out to a conference, or do you do them at conferences? How do they... How do they how do you do them? Maybe I should oh, ask sure. that. Oh, sure. I've done them in all sorts of settings, and I, I, I absolutely adore them because what I do is I take excerpts out of the book and develop a, a manuscript that we call a theatrical reading. So um, I either do them by myself, which I love doing. I read both voices. That's what I do most commonly. Um, and then I always work with a musician. So I've worked with cellists and uh, violin and guitar and singers to integrate in between uh, the text because mom was very musical. And uh, well, I even had a gospel uh, choir at a fundraiser once backing us up. So they're very creative, very artistic. They're not PowerPoints. So usually I would be hired for a keynote at nighttime or at lunchtime, like something special. Mm-hmm. It's very heartwarming, honest, but uplift, fundamentally uplifting. So, no, I love doing them. I'll be, I'm, I'm anticipate doing, uh, now that the book's out in the States, uh, in the coming year. Okay, great. Well, very fun. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen... Um the uh the the play it's a, a musical actually my mother has four noses um no. with Jonathan Brooks and she's from New York and it's absolutely just fabulous one 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 woman um play and um just uh, i think i've seen it probably six different times Wow. And, um, yeah, just really cool. And you always have to bring somebody back, um, you know, to, to see it again. And I think that that sounds like your event as well, where it's just one of those where it just gets you excited and you want to bring others to see the, see the story in a different light. You know, um, I, I believe in a lot of different mediums in terms of, um, being able to tell story. And so I love that you're so versatile in your storytelling. I think that that's, that's a big, big, big plus there. Thank you. So, well, I can't thank you enough um, for, for being with us. Um, one of the things that I did want to ask you before we sign off here is, did you have a favorite dance? Um, and also, did you and your mom ever literally dance together? Uh, no, I don't remember us dancing together. We sang together a mm-hmm. lot. Um, I, we sang we sang all the old songs. I grew up in a family that was always around the piano, mm-hmm. so we did we did that a lot, which was just absolutely wonderful. She played the piano, and as I said, she had perfect pitch, so she was lovely uh, singing with. Um, my favorite dance was um, either the slow waltz or the Argentine tango, very quiet, introspective dances. Everybody thought I I loved the en- energy of the Latin, but. Uh, I did, but no, my heart was very much taken with this, with the deeper introspective, sometimes sadder, but very moving, intimate dances were my favorite. Okay, yeah, it's it's, it's what we were talking about getting under the, getting down to the bone, mm-hmm. not flit, not flitting around on top of meaning. You get right down there and just sit there and accept that. And those are the dances that really spoke to my soul. Yeah, the reason I asked that is my mom and I used to, she used to love to dance, you know, physically dance. And yeah. and then as she ended up in a wheelchair, you know, we'd push her around in the wheelchair. And then when that wasn't comfortable anymore, then we would kind of, what I call hand dance. And then we got down to a finger dance, you know, in terms <laughs> of music. Um, but it was just always such a cool connection, you know. To How be, lovely. Yeah, it was very, very fun. And it's something I, I don't think I'll ever forget as long as I live. You know, it's just oh. was just one of those great moments of joy, you know. Wow, that's, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, please um, go to kathybory.com. Again, that's C-A-T-H-I-E and then Bory, B as in boy, O-R-R-I-E.com. And um, check out her book. And if you're in New York or traveling to New York, um, go to that book launch. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. I wish I was able to attend, um, but I can't with my schedule. So I thank you so much for your time, and I wish you all the success in the world, Kathy. It's well-deserved. Thank you, Lori. I love you. Thank you. Um, (laughs) 
For um, those of you that didn't catch our last show, we had uh, Trin Rose Seely on, and we talked about music to our ears, which was, uh, again, lines up uh, very well with, with our show here today as well. Um, we also did Dementia Chats on the 12th, and we had a great conversation. Um, and it was all about talking to our experts, those diagnosed with dementia, about denial. And um, and when we're talking about denial and this conversation, it really um, rolled around uh, people um, having symptoms. And how does a family address that? And what are the benefits um, of getting diagnosed? And how should a family have that conversation. Uh, so I think you'll find that really powerful. Um, you can go to uh, alzheimerspeaks.com, go to our projects and initiatives page, and then just tap on the um, Dementia Chats page uh, tab there, and um, you'll see our past uh, our past webinars that we've done. Again, want to give a, a shout-out to Autumn Leaves down in Texas for being so gracious and having me come out to do uh, five screenings of the film His Neighbor Phil. Looking forward to going back there on the 28th um, to be doing a caregiver camp, um, and that'll be a lot of fun. Um, down in Tyler, Texas, with the Alzheimer's Alliance of Smith County. And then on the 19th, I'll be uh, doing a program here um, in Wilmer, Minnesota, with the West Central Dementia Awareness Network as well. Um, on the blog, you'll be able to find um, information on our past shows um, as well as dementia chats. Um, but you might want to go back and read an article called A Gift Given by One of Our Heroes Living and Dying with Dementia about Dina Dotson, who um, ended up taking her own life um, a year ago this April 1st. And it just really makes you think about the process, the disease, the toll it takes on everyone. Uh, last, I just want to remind you that uh, if you want to go uh, get a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, which is an accounting system, you can go to gofreshbooks.com forward slash alive. Again, that's gofreshbooks.com forward slash alive. Another free trial, you can get a free Audible book today for 30 days by going to audibletrial.com forward slash social. That's audibletrial.com forward slash social. Uh, last, I'm just going to give a shout out uh, and re remind people that if you go to alzheimerspeaks.com and register as a member, uh, you will have free access to our tools. Uh, one that people just rave about is called Your Memory Chip that gets us to refocus on what is it that we need to deal with. Most of us feel it's um, task-oriented, um, but there's a, a shift that can occur um, when we look at those tasks. And instead of focusing on a task, we can focus on the person themselves. Are they safe? Are they happy? Are they, pain, are they pain free? And there's a YouTube video that explains that a little bit more. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.